0: turn once again to the gospel according to Luke, beginning in chapter 23 at verse 50, reading through chapter 24, verse 12. Our text will be Luke's account of the resurrection found in chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. We begin reading the gospel at chapter 23, verse 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, And they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter, and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. We end our reading of the gospel here. We come at last to the final chapter of the Gospel of Luke and what a concluding chapter it is. The Gospel concludes with the closing scene of our redemption. Closes with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who had been delivered into wicked hands. Innocently condemned to death, crucified and slain, laid in a tomb. And the history of Jesus' resurrection contained in this closing chapter of the gospel is history of the greatest importance, for without it, everything that we have looked at in the gospel of Luke thus far would be vain, would be empty, and would be meaningless. For without the resurrection, we are men most miserable, still in our sins. But with the resurrection of the Christ of God, as reported here in the gospel, in this word of truth, with the resurrection, we are men most joyful and no longer in our sins. For the Christ of God sent into the world to save his people from their sins. Has finished that work. He has vanquished death. He has taken away its sting. He has overcome the grave. He has borne our sins. He has obtained for us remission of sin. Everlasting righteousness and salvation. And now he lives. He lives ever. To impart all of the blessings and the benefits of his death to us. So that he who lives ever may give to us everlasting life. And that we may ever more live with him. We come to the closing scene of our redemption. In which we see the victory of the cross proclaimed. In which we see the overturning of all appearances. The seeming victory of the powers of darkness in that hour that God gave to them. We see the crushing of the serpent's head. We see the conquest of the grave. We see our salvation. This has been the truth. Proclaimed through the gospel. Recounted by the church throughout the ages. Going all the way back to that first resurrection Sunday. And so as we come, yet again, to this familiar gospel history, let us do so with eagerness, with joy. Not to receive these things as the disciples did at first. As idle tales. Or as something we know, heard over and over again. but As the living gospel, the good tidings of salvation that we delight in. To hear time and time again. Because it refreshes our souls. Strengthens our hands. To go on in this life with our eyes fixed upon the glory. The life and immortality brought to light by our risen and triumphant Savior. So on this resurrection Sunday morning we turn again to the gospel. That its light may dispel our darkness. That its truth may comfort our hearts. And so that our firm and unshakable and infallible hope may be made all the more firm. Consider the account of the resurrection in the Gospel of Luke, walking through this history, applying it to ourselves. We take as our theme that beautiful question of the angels, which we find only in this Gospel Why seek ye the living? Among the dead. We'll look at the meaning of this. Secondly, the necessity. and Finally, the comfort it gives us. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and many of the other women who so faithfully ministered to the Lord in his life, set out in the twilight of the very early dawn. And for them, that morning, one thing was certain, they thought. Jesus was among the dead. They had seen him die. And so they went out seeking the dead among the dead. And they knew where to find their beloved dead. He was in the garden, in the hills outside of Jerusalem, where the rich had their tombs carved out of the rocky roots of David's city. Friday afternoon they had watched their beloved Lord die upon a Roman cross between two criminals. Friday evening they had seen the place where he was laid They followed Joseph and they followed Nicodemus to the tomb, watched as they laid Jesus' linen-wrapped body upon the stone slab. But the Sabbath drew on, and with even fall, the Sabbath dawned, and the work preparing Jesus' body for an honorable burial could not be finished. And so the women looked on as Joseph and Nicodemus rolled the heavy stone door closed, enclosing Jesus' body in the silent dark. And for the Sabbath day, there it rested. While they, according to the commandment, rested at home. And now at earliest opportunity, Sunday morning, at the earliest hour of dawn, Having prepared spices and ointments to finish their last act of love, the women come to the tomb bringing those spices. They had no inkling that they would find anything but the dead among the dead. They had to finish their last act of love before the tomb door would have to seal shut that tomb forever. But as they neared the tomb, emerging from the shadows of the twilight, the gaping entryway, the large stone door rolled aside. How could it be? Who had opened The door during the night or on the Sabbath day. Why has something happened to the body of Jesus? Such likely were the questions that flurried about in their minds as they hurried the more quickly to the tomb. And as they arrive at the tomb. Well all was as it had been left. Except one thing. Except for the dead. Verses 2 and 3. Of the gospel account. And they found the stone. Rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in. And found not. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see the language of the text. How it connects those two things. They found the stone. But it was rolled away. And as they come to the tomb. They don't find the one thing. They were certain that they would find. The dead among the dead. Everything else was there. Upon that cold stone slab, there were the linen clothes that still held the shape of Jesus' body and yet those linen clothes were lying flat, empty. The death shroud that had covered the face of the Lord was set aside and neatly folded there And as the gospel accounts, as they took in this sight in the empty tomb, they were much perplexed thereabout. Perplexed about the absence of Jesus' body. Perplexed, meaning confused to the point of being at a loss and speechless. They could not make sense of what they saw before them. Jesus was dead. They sought him among the dead. In the place of the dead. And yet, the dead was not there. Then, as the inspired writer recounts, in the gloom of the empty tomb, as it's illuminated by the rising sun, Two men stood by them who shone more brightly than the rising sun. Two men stood by them in shining garments. And their appearance alone made clear who they were. Angels of the Lord. Brilliant to look upon as they reflected the very glory and holiness of the one who sent them. And as all mortals and sinners... Respond at beholding such a glimpse of the glory and beauty of God. The women were afraid and bowed down their faces to the ground. But these angels, they were sent there to take away fear, to relieve distress, to end perplexity, to announce good tidings, just as they had at the birth of the Savior. They were sent to end fear and relieve sorrow and to tell the meaning. Of the perplexing things that the women looked upon with their uncomprehending eyes. The very voice of God, as it were, sounds through his emissaries. Sounds forth through the angels as they speak. And the very first words that they speak as recorded in Luke's gospel account. Is that marvelous, wonderful question. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Packed into those words is the gospel in all of its fullness and all of its glory. Why seek ye the living among the dead? And this question of the angels was not a question meant to be answered, but was a question meant to reveal. To reveal Jesus Is not among the dead. Because Jesus lives. He lives. This is why you seek. And why you do not find. You seek Jesus who was crucified. Who was dead. But he is no longer dead. He lives. You seek for him. You look for him in the wrong place. In fact, this is the last place in the world that you should be looking for him have come to the place of the dead. The living do not abide in the place of the dead. You look for the dead among the dead, but you ought to be looking for the living among the living. Why seek ye the living? And this word of God through the angels overturns that one sorrowful certainty that the women had in their minds as they came to the tomb that morning. The one certain thing was, Jesus is among the dead. And the angels say, why seek ye the living? The living. Living. How can it be? Living? Living? Verse 6. Having put forth that revelatory question, the angels explain how it can be that he is the living. The living one. Verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. There's the explanation why you find him not. There's the explanation why you are looking in the wrong place. He is risen. Yes, he had died. Yes, you saw him lay down his life of his own accord on the cross of Calvary. Yes, you had heard from a distance his victorious cry, it is finished, and his final words, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. But in the earliest hours of this Sunday morning, God the Father raised His beloved Son from the dead and out of the grave by His own almighty power and His beloved Son. For He is the Son of God. He Himself raised Himself up by His own divine power. No human eye is permitted to see this wonder when in the early, early hours morning hours, Jesus' soul, his human soul, which had been in glory with the penitent malefactor that he had saved Friday afternoon. That glorified soul of the Lord Jesus Christ had been reunited with his body that was lying there in the tomb. And the reunification of Jesus' soul with his body raised his body to life and not just back to his old life but unto newness of life raised him up unto immortal life resurrection resurrection that is why he lives that explains why he is not here that is why you do not find the dead in the place of the dead he lives he is risen that morning the risen christ had passed through those grave clothes wonder of god so that those clothes which had been full with a body fell flat empty as empty as the tomb that jesus then vacated as he passed through the stone walls Risen Christ. The angels then opened that tomb. Not to let Jesus out. But to let the women in. And to let light be cast upon the empty tomb. So that manifest before the world. And to this day it might be known. That the Christ lives. And that he is risen. Having conquered death. And vanquished his foes. Why seek ye the living Among the dead, he is not here. He is risen. This is the glorious gospel message that the angels announced to the women at the empty tomb. Though he was dead, now he is alive. And everything that they thought they had lost, everything that they thought was over with now. Their Lord, their Master, His kingdom, their relationship with Him, their hopes, everything they thought was lost and was over with, was not lost, was not over with, but was in fact coming to its fulfillment and its blessedness. And this is the good news that comes to us from God Himself through His Word this morning. The good news that dispels darkness. And that lifts the heavy heart. That's what it did for the women at the tomb that morning. The horror, the sadness, the distress, the perplexity of the days in the past. The taking and the killing of their Lord. That distress, sadness and perplexity melts away like the frost before the face of the rising sun. And so too the face of the rising son of righteousness, our Lord Jesus Christ, as he shines upon us through his word, through this gospel message, melts away our sorrows and our darkness. He is not here. He is risen. He is not among the dead. He is the living one. Risen unto newness of life. Risen with healing. In his wings. He is not now. Nor shall he ever again be found. In the place. Of the dead. But as the risen Lord. The living one. He shines forth bringing life and immortality to light. And where his face shines. Death flees. The good news. Good news resurrection, the good news that comes to you, believer, this morning. The good news of the resurrection that has resounded from this day onward throughout the centuries. Why could this good news never be stamped out? Because it is God's truth. It is the truth of salvation. God's people never tire of hearing it. It's the good news that no bad news can ever stifle. The good news that brings light and hope even to the deepest darkness. The good news that death is swallowed up in victory. Beloved, let the words of this good news. That he lives. He is risen. Be impressed upon your hearts. We you follow not after... Fables and idle tales. This is the truth. The truth that sets us free. The truth that lifts the heart. Jesus is risen. After announcing the glorious gospel of Jesus' resurrection, the angels remind the women of the necessity of all of these things that had come to pass. In the days gone by. For Jesus Christ himself had told them many times that all things had to be this way. That he had to suffer and that he had to die. And that he would be raised again on the third day. The cross, the burial, and the empty tomb had to be, had to be. The text goes on in verses 6 and 7. The angel speaks, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day, rise again. You can catch in those words of the angel, gentle chiding, gentle chiding. Why seek ye the dead? why seek ye the dead here? Why seek ye the one who is living among the dead? Don't you know? He wouldn't be here. He told you. He told you so many times what must come to pass. He told you. He told his disciples that he would suffer and die and rise again. And if we were to page back through the Gospel of Luke and page through the other Gospels, we would find several such instances where Jesus Christ had told his disciples precisely what would come to pass. What the angels do here is they simply point the women back to Jesus' own words. Their Gospel message of resurrection isn't something new. It's something Jesus had proclaimed would come to pass and had to come to pass. Just a couple of examples that we can see earlier in the Gospel of Luke. If you turn to chapter 9, right before Jesus' transfiguration and right after Jesus' transfiguration, as he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, Jesus told his disciples what was going to happen. And you will notice what had to happen. Luke 9, verses 20 through 22. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. When he was yet in Galilee, he told you so. And then after the transfiguration in Luke 9 as well, verses 43 through 45. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered every one at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not his saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. He told them, but it did not sink into their ears or penetrate into their hearts. They didn't understand. It was hidden from them. They were afraid to ask, this talk about suffering, this talk about death, this talk about rejection, about dying and rising again, what is this? It didn't fit with their ideas of who Jesus was and what he came to do. And so they forgot these words because they did not enter into their hearts. And that explains in large measure the perplexity and the dread and the sadness of the women and Jesus' disciples on that Sunday morning. Jesus was dead. The last thing they expected was that he would rise. But now the angel's words call them to remembrance as verse 8 says. And they remembered his words. And that indicates not merely a recollection of facts. But the dawning of new understanding. As they looked upon the empty tomb. As the angel's words sunk into their ears and penetrated into their hearts. Jesus' words come back to mind. And they connect Jesus' words with what they now see, hear, and experience. The empty tomb at last makes sense. He is not here. He is risen. He is no longer among the dead. But he lives. With that dawning of understanding... That blossoming blossoming of joy. As the other Gospels tell us in greater detail than Luke does, the women went from the tomb as quickly as they could to tell the others the Gospel tidings Jesus' death and resurrection. It had to be. It had to be. Now, an application here remembering. That's part. Of the resurrection gospel call to us. Remember. Remember. Remember his words. Jesus' words. All of his words. Don't forget them. Don't let them slip out of your heart and mind. How easy it is to forget. God's words. Forget not in the sense that we. No longer remember the facts. But forget in the sense that we no longer bear his word in mind. We don't live in the light of his word. In the light of this gospel of the resurrection. That's when we forget. And when we forget. Like the women and like the disciples. We can't make sense of our experience anymore. And easily we become overwhelmed by the sorrows of this life. Trials come. Storms blow. And we say, what is this? Why has this come? Forgetting that Jesus said, these things must come. And I am with you. Remember. Remember the resurrection. Remember the victory of Jesus Christ. And live all of life in light of that gospel. Bear this word, this good news in your minds. Hide it and treasure it in your heart. When we live in light of the resurrection, of Jesus Christ, we can bear all things, do all things through the risen Christ who strengthens us. Let us not live or think act as though Christ is still dead he is not he lives he lives let's now look at a couple of reasons why the resurrection was necessary you notice that the angels in reminding the women of what Jesus had said put a certain emphasis on the must Verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. There's a must here. We understand the must of his death. We've looked at that leading up to Good Friday, the must of his death. There is one way for sinners such as you and I to be saved. And that one way is through the satisfaction of divine justice. And divine justice can only be satisfied through atonement. Payment for sin which accomplishes reconciliation with God. And the only one who is qualified to make such atonement is the incarnate Christ. Who fully man and righteous man is able to take the guilt of our sins upon himself and fulfill all righteousness for us, but who is also truly God and by his divine power is able to sustain his human nature in the bearing of the wrath of God so that he is able, the only one who is able to take and drink that cup. We understand the necessity of Jesus' death to pay for our sins and to merit all of the blessings of salvation, But it's not just the death of Christ that's necessary. He must rise again. The third day. He cannot stay dead. He must arise. Why? Why? Many reasons. But let's see four. First of the four. There is the divine necessity of God's eternal decree. The whole plan of salvation was conceived before the world began in the eternal good pleasure of God. Psalm 16 verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That was God's plan before the foundation of the world. Jesus was delivered according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And he is raised also according to that determinate counsel of God. He died and rose again according to the scriptures. As 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says. There is a divine necessity. This is the plan of salvation that God has ordained. The most perfect way of salvation. The only way through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now secondly, the resurrection is necessary because God's justice. God's justice, now satisfied, demands the resurrection of the Christ who satisfied it. God's justice, now satisfied, demands the resurrection. Jesus died not for his own sins. He went to the cross not because he was a transgressor. He was counted among the transgressors because he bore your guilt and mine. The tremendous burden of our sins was laid upon him. God made him to be sin for us. And therefore, he took the punishment of our sin for us. As our representative, as our substitute, as our sin-bearing savior. And on that cross, Jesus paid for our sins. His atonement was the perfect sacrifice that wiped away our guilt, that met all of the demands of God's inflexible holy law. And since our sins are paid for by the sinless Savior, death has no legal claim on the Christ. Death may not and cannot hold him. He must arise. Divine justice demands that the perfect one who satisfied justice must arise unto newness of life. It would violate the very justice of God if Jesus Christ remained within the tomb. Thus, the conquering Christ arises His resurrection is necessary because of divine decree. It is necessary because of God's justice in the third place. It's necessary because of who Jesus is. Because of who Jesus is. Because of who he is. He must arise. And the angels point that out in their question. Why seek ye the living among the dead? The living. And... A more exact rendering of that phrase, the living, would be the living one. That's who Jesus is. That's his deepest identity. Has he not many times declared himself to be? I am the one true God who possesses the eternal fountain of his own being within himself. Who possesses life within himself. He is the living one who has life within himself. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again, he said. Because of who he is, he must rise. He is the son of God who has life within himself. He is the living one. And in connection with that, Jesus Christ as the living one is our royal priest forever. As we sang in our versification of Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, God speaks to his son Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 4. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A priest forever. When our high priest laid down his own life as the perfect sacrifice for sin. That was not the end of his priesthood. His priesthood continues through death. It is an eternal priesthood. He gives himself and goes into the grave that he may burst forth from the grave. And live forever to make intercession for us on the other side of the grave. He has an eternal priesthood. An eternal kingship. Did not Gabriel say to Mary? The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Christ's kingship is a kingship that goes through death and through the grave. He must arise because of who he is as the living one. And who he is. As the mediator of the covenant. Our royal priest forever. Fourth and finally. He must arise. So that he as savior. May apply to us all of the benefits of his death. On the cross. He earned for us forgiveness. Righteousness. Life everlasting. He earned and obtained. But now he must apply and impart what he earned for us. And a dead Christ cannot apply anything. A dead Christ who has earned blessings cannot give blessings. Christ must live if he is to give us his blessings. And thus the resurrection is necessary for Jesus to apply and impart to us all of those blessings he earned on the cross. The resurrection assures us that those blessings are ours because we have a living Savior and the living Savior gives us his life. It's been said that the whole of our salvation can be summed up in three gospel events. The cross, the empty tomb, and the upper room. Crucifixion, resurrection, Pentecost. And that's well said. And you see the importance of the resurrection there. Without the resurrection, the cross and its benefits would not be made ours. And without the resurrection, there would be no Pentecost, no outpouring of the spirit of the living Christ. The resurrection is necessary so that all of the blessings of Christ might come into our possession. And thus the living one arises so that we may have his blessings. So that he may truly save us from our sins. Salvation that is not just rescue from sin and death. But which positively is participation in life everlasting. Necessary. But now when we see what the resurrection is and why it is necessary. We see all the more clearly do we not the comfort. What comfort it gives us. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And those words resound throughout the ages as words of comfort to God's people. Words announcing victory over death. There are two main ways that the resurrection comforts us. And I want to point these out in connection with two phrases in the text. that We've already looked at. He is risen. And he is the living one. Those two phrases contain a world of comfort for us. He is risen. And he is the living one. First, he is risen. What comfort does that give you, beloved? He is risen. Who is he? He is your head. He is your savior. He is the one who gave his life for you. He is risen. And you understand that that has implications for you. He has taken away all your sins. His resurrection is the seal confirming that the cross is of real benefit to you. To you. He died for your sins and mine. He bore your guilt and mine. He suffered your punishment and mine. The wages of sin, which is death. The death that you and I deserved. He took upon himself. He bore it. And he bore it all away. Away. So that it's gone. That guilt, that punishment is gone. And the resurrection then proves. Proves that Jesus spoke the truth. When he said, it. Is finished. Your sin and mine. Put him in the grave. And if he remained in the grave. That would have been a testimony to us. Your sin is not gone. But that he arose from the grave. Is a testimony to you and me. Your sin is gone. Your guilt is gone. Your punishment is taken. The resurrection is the supreme proof. Of the forgiveness of sins. It is the seal of our justification. It is the testimony of God Himself. You are children and heirs of life eternal. That's the comfort of the fact that He is risen. And going along with that, He is risen means He has conquered death for us. Death is God's curse. On account of sin and Jesus having taken the guilt of our sin away means Jesus has conquered death for us. He is the righteous one who took our sins upon himself and thereby destroyed the power of death. And the resurrection shows that death had no claim on him. And that means death has no claim on us because he was in the grave. For our sins. Jesus conquered death. And the resurrection shows us. The resurrection is his victory. As he emerges from the hour of the power of darkness. He emerges trampling death beneath his feet. As he leaves that tomb. The comfort of the resurrection shines upon us beloved. And that comfort is. Death has no power to destroy. To kill or to drag you to hell anymore. Death can no more keep you. Than it kept Christ your head. Son of righteousness. Risen with healing in his wings. Shines his light into the darkest places of our lives. And the resurrection shows. That no shadow can hold its ground. Before the face Of the risen Christ. Before the face of him who is indeed the resurrection and the life. Yes, death remains a last enemy. But a defanged and defeated last enemy. Death cannot take captive. Death cannot hold in its prison cell. Death can do nothing but bow to the redeemed of the living Lord. And open itself up as the door, the gateway to heaven. As death had to surrender before the victorious Christ, death must surrender to you too. Because he is risen. Because he is no longer among the dead, but is living. That means the place of the dead is not your place either. And We don't look for ourselves there. We don't look for our believing loved ones there. The place of the dead is not our place. Our place is with the living Lord, the risen one. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death is swallowed up in victory because he is risen. Then a second aspect of our comfort He is risen and he liveth forevermore. He is the living one. Think about that. That's who you're connected to. That's the one to whom you are united by an indestructible spiritual bond authored by the Holy Spirit. You are united to the living one. And through that spiritual union, The immortal, imperishable life of the living one flows to you. That's why you have faith. That's why you're spiritually alive. Because you're connected to Christ, the living one. Jesus left the place of the dead forever when he rose. He passed beyond the power of corruption, beyond every effect of sin. Through his death, he earned newness of life. And by his resurrection, he enters into the fullness of that life. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I have been begotten unto a lively hope. We have been given new life. New life that cannot die. Jesus has risen as the first fruits from the dead. In order to gather in the harvest. His people. He lives. and Because he lives. We live. We have new life. Life that cannot die. Life that will live on through death. We have passed from death into life. Through him. Who is the resurrection. And life. Our comfort is. the Words that Jesus spoke. To Mary and Martha. In John 11 verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me. Though he were dead. Yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me. Shall never die. Believest thou this? Believe it. By the power of the Spirit, believe it. You belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to the living one. That means you shall live forevermore with him. Let the light of Christ's resurrection shine upon your heart and life. Let darkness and sorrow flee. Rejoice and cease not to tell and retell the glorious gospel. My Lord is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the good news of the resurrection proclaimed in thy word, set before us anew and afresh this morning for the comfort of our souls and the stirring up of our hope. May we confide and find our refuge in the one who is risen, and the one who lives forevermore, in the comfort of life everlasting which we have through him. Hide this word in our hearts that we forget it not, but that we remember it day by day in every circumstance of life, In the good times and the hard times. Christ is risen. We are victorious. Thanks be to thee, our God. Amen.